to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. We're back tonight to look at even more parables. This is our third week of parables, uh, continuing in Matthew 13. Uh, once again, this is the gospel reading from the three-year lectionary for this upcoming Sunday. And uh, we're talking Matthew 13, 44 through 52 tonight. We are. Do you want me to read that, Will? Yes, please. Okay. Let's bring that up. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Here ends our reading. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. So we're moving away from the uh, agrarian uh, parables, and now we have some new object lessons here, right? Uh, yeah. Although it's a treasure hidden in a field. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's well, true. It, maybe it's a farmer's field. We don't know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So maybe we can deal with the first two parables kind of together because they're very similar. They are very similar. There's a certain theme that comes into both of them. There is. Yeah, and the king, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, the first thing that jumps out here is um, so in the last two weeks parables, we looked at, looked at the parable, parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds. Um we had this strong emphasis on kind of the word doing the work on its own. And that kind of fits very well with our theology, right? Uh, we, we know how to interpret that. But here in these two parables, we have a person searching for something, the, the treasure and the pearl. And now for us, that seems to fit less neatly with theology and the way we understand how we come to faith in a way, it seems. It sure does. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And and then the, the next one is, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And we we kind of shudder a little bit when we talk about our faith that way, right? Right. Don't we? Right. Well, yeah, you hear other Christians talking about finding Jesus. And we, we tend to say that Jesus found us rather than the other way around, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little, it, it, it seems wrong for us to say that we, and, and even C.S. Lewis talks about this, how arrogant of people to, to say that they, they chose Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's impossible for us to do. So why then does Jesus use these, par- why does he phrase these in this way? Right. 
that that that's a really good question. But you know, a week or so ago we talked about the gospel imperative, and you know, where Jesus says, "Come unto me." Mm-hmm. And in the speaking, when he says those words, he gives us the power to to come to him. Right, right. I remember you saying that. Yeah. And 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 that's the whole. You know, we we call it a gospel imperative. Um, grammatically, it is a command. You know, come unto me. And but so but we know we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in our Lord Jesus Christ or come to Him. Right. That's that's ingrained in our Lutheran theology that no no it's God who does it. Right. But but so too here it's we can regard these as invitations. Okay. I, I think we can say that here Jesus is saying hey it's like the guy who's out looking for something good and and guess what he found it. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for something good? Hmm. It's basically what Jesus is saying to the hearers, right? Right, right. Are you on a quest? Do you, you know, are you are you one of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Mm. Because that implies you don't yet have it. Right. 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 That's are, true. And and so the whole idea there is that he's he's holding out this wonderful idea, this idea of grace and heaven and forgiveness and eternal life and reconciliation any other good word you want to throw at it. And he's saying, hey, do you want this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's true. And it, it seems to me that there is at least some element, especially maybe more clearly in the parable of the pearl, there is kind of this element of like stumbling upon it almost by accident. Right. And I guess same with the buried treasure as well. Like I'm, I'm not sure people are just out looking for, for buried treasure. Maybe it's something you more kind of happen upon. Right. And and so maybe there's that element here as well. It, it is something that kind of confronts you in a way rather than you finding it. Yeah, although here it's a merchant in search of fine pearls. Right, right. I mean, you know, you can try to soften it will, but basically, <laughs> yeah. basically it doesn't work. So let's let's jump to the Old Testament. And there's a rather interesting um, section in, in Matthew 55. We'll read verses six to seven, then ten, eleven. Isaiah fifty-five. I'm sorry, Isaiah fifty-five. Um, did I say Matthew fifty-five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've just created a whole new gospel. <laughs> Isaiah fifty-five. Matthew doesn't have fifty-five chapters. <laughs> right. For the, for those of you who don't know, um, Isaiah fifty-five says, "Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near." Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, so there, seek the Lord while he may be found. Mm -hmm. That's very similar to the parable, isn't it? It's true. He's out out searching for the pearl of great value and whatever. Right. Well, okay. What's the point? Here it is again, God saying, hey, seek me. Right. I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah's inspired. Isaiah, I got it right that time. Isaiah's inspired to write these words. It's a, it's, a, it's a gospel invitation and a gospel imperative to say, hey, seek God while he's there. Right. And then, of right. course, we have to get, we have to understand at some level, and this, this will come up a bit in the, in the, another parable we look at tonight that there is a, there is a point where time's up Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's the sad point. Jesus wants people to find him before time's up. Right. And we we see this in other parables as well, 
right? Like the, uh, the parable of like the wedding feast, right? Yeah. Um, we, we, yeah, we see these sorts of warnings to act while there's time to act. And, and, and we tend to apply that more to our sanctification often, I think, than, than justification, because we don't want to give off the sort of impression that our justification is in any way up to us, right? Right. Something that we do. Yeah. And, and, and then we have to bring in one of those phrases, God makes willing from unwilling people. Mm. Mm, that's, right. that's, where you re- that's where you get around all this stuff about, hold it. Is it me? Is it not me? No, it is you in that God renews you. Right. God enables you. God empowers you. God gives you his spirit so that you can believe in him. Right. And so this whole idea of seek the Lord while he may be found, but you know, there's a few verses I took out of this, but verse 10 explains how God works on our hearts Mm. and, and, and how we find him. If you want to talk that way. Okay. Okay. And, and the Bible does. So I'm, I'm okay with that. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Mm. And the reason he sends his word is so that we can find him. Right. Okay. That's, that's the whole point. God's not some ego maniacal, deity who is just spouting his laws so he can control the peons who live on earth. Mm-hmm. He would have every right to do that, but he doesn't. He actually wants to communicate with us his mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness so that we come to know him by faith and receive those wonderful benefits. Right. right. That's why he gives us his word. And that, that alone, understanding that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, that takes that whole notion out of, oh, I did this. Right. No, it takes that out. God did it when he came and introduced himself to you very gently through his word. Right. Right. No, that's all. God, yeah. God can be resisted when he operates through these means. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point to keep in mind is that, yeah, you can, you can hear God's word and you can ignore it. You can push him away. Right. Um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't force himself. He comes to us very gently and very lovingly and, and communicates his, his love and mercy and grace to us through that, through that word. Right. Right. Okay. Okay, great. Um, let's talk about maybe one other misconception of these first two parables. So in both instances, the person who makes the discovery goes and sells all that they have. Now, um, some people might be tempted to think that this is a sort of like works righteousness idea here that you have, you must sell everything that you have in order to obtain uh, salvation. Yeah. Right. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then verse 46, one finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Right. Cause like in the oh. parable, the selling of all their possessions is kind of a means to obtaining the thing that they want. Right. The right. Thing of value. Right. So we could be heretical and say, yeah, well, if you um, give up enough or buy enough, then God will let you know it's happening. <laughs> right, right. No, no, we firmly do not believe that. But the whole idea here is that when you see the riches of God's grace, everything else in your life becomes dross. Mm-hmm. There's a word you don't hear too often, but, you know, Paul refers to it as dung, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I count all as refuse. 
uh, all, all of that, all of those things that we accumulate in our life, all the things that seem so important to us before we know Christ. Oh, I don't want that anymore. Right. I don't want that. And we can, we can also, um, I think, look at it as a football game. Okay. And well, basketball is a better sport, but you get more people on the football field. So we'll, we'll go with football, <laughs> but you're, you're playing on the wrong team. Mm. And then God calls you and says, Hey, come play on my team. Mm. And you really have to leave the other team. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't be part of that anymore. You can't help them. You can't, you're off that team. Right. Right. And that's, that's the idea here is, is this, this big distinction between, do you love God or do you love the things of this world? Right. And that comports with, of course, lots of other warnings in scripture that say something similar. Right. Right. And here's where the, and we've talked about this before, a hard aspect comes in. Well, what about people? Mm-hmm. We were told to love our neighbor and to love our family members and honor our parents and all these things. And so we don't, they're not dross. Mm-hmm. These people in our lives, they're, they're important. They're, they're people for whom Christ died, but we have to not make gods out of them. Right. We have to commend them to God's care and make sure that we have our priorities straight that we, you know, the first commandment, right? Right. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, shall we move on to the next parable? Yes. Now, Matthew, go ahead. Uh, right. So the parable of the net. Now, this one is different than the first two. A different message here. Um, can we maybe talk about the potential connection between this parable and the first two parables that we looked at? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a logical um, step. If you want to call okay. it that. In that, the first two parables talk about individuals who come to know. God and his grace. Right. This parable talks about what happens at the end of time or at the end when Christ returns, end of time in this world. What happens to those people who do know God by grace? Okay. And those who don't. Right. So right. We, you can say the, the first two are kind of talking to the individual. Mm-hmm. And then this one is speaking to what happens to those individuals. I see. Right. And, and, and where the first couple are, I think, gospel imperatives and gospel invitations and a call to, to faith and all those things. This, in this one, he very plainly and I think sadly lays out the reality that, well, some people are going to refuse me. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, maybe while the first two parables are talking about the value and the joy that you obtain when you discover or kind of obtain the kingdom of heaven. Cause all these start with the kingdom of heaven is like, right. Yeah. And now he's kind of giving, it seems to me like a full picture of what this kingdom of heaven is going to look like. And in, um, in the end, exactly. Yeah. And so in the first two, we kind of learned the, the unspeakable value of it and uh, you know, the, the joy that we have when we obtain it. And now here we we're kind of given a picture of who that's going to be. It's not going to be everyone, it seems. No, and that's sad. Right. I mean, that, that's just so sad. Christ, Christ died for all people of all time. And the fact that people don't want him or don't want his grace, that's just sad. Yeah. I mean, there's no greater tragedy um, than, than people who don't want Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is talking about. Right. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown to the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So the good and bad here, it's using these, these sort of judgmental type terms, right? Mm-hmm. And what we have to bear in mind is that when we're in Christ, everything we do in faith is good in God's eyes. And we are declared good or righteous in God's eyes. And if we're not in faith, then spiritually we can do nothing good. Right. And that's the important thing to keep in mind in this context here, because I think there might be another temptation here to think about works righteousness. Because when people see righteous and unrighteousness, unrighteous, they might not automatically associate that with believers and unbelievers. Yeah. And, and you really have to. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole point being that the the good or the righteous are the ones who, by faith, have their sins forgiven. Right. And the unrighteous are those who have rejected Christ to the bitter end. Right. And this this isn't always intuitive for us, right? Because um, like in our daily experience, we see Christians who might be seemingly unrighteous for whatever reason, yep. have personal sins or vices that uh, they struggle to overcome. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you might see some non-Christians who appear to be outwardly righteous. And so that causes some discord and some trouble when we... Well, yeah. And we really have to keep in mind the difference between this spiritual dimension and the, the civil realm. Right. And as I've said before, we thank God for the non-believers who are good citizens, good doctors, good police officers, good soldiers, good whatever, good politicians. We thank God for them even if they're not Christian, right? Right. We thank God right. for them being in our society and making our lives better by their work. And and we should thank God for them and pray for them. But um, spiritually speaking, a good work is something that's done in faith, done to the glory of God, done for the good of your neighbor, done in accordance with the Ten Commandments. And and only a Christian person can can then, by that definition, do a good work. Right. So there are spiritual good works and there are civil good works. And we really need to keep them separate and here we're talking about those who are spiritually good and spiritually bad, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Which righteous and unrighteous people of faith, people who are not believers. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, and it's, it, it is confusing. And we do tend to fall back into that, well, um, you know, they're a good person. Obviously, they're going to heaven type of thought. Right, exactly, I've, I've yeah. I've heard that all my ministry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. There is no one righteous. No, not one. So Paul tells us, uh, mm-hmm. and that includes you and me and everybody. And our righteousness is a precious gift that Jesus has won by his death and resurrection. Right. So verse 49 is the sad news. So it will be at the end of the age, the angel will come in out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. And we weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, of course, that's very similar to the wheat and the tares. No, wait till the end. Exactly. Wait till the judgment. So that whole idea. So you have these parables about people finding treasure and pearls. They individually come to faith that they found that greatest treasure in Jesus, the pearl of immeasurable value, uh, the treasure that, you know, that, that fills the desires of your heart, as it mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then what happens as, as Jesus, when Jesus returns, those who have faith, are put into containers, which seems kind of a strange way to put it. Right. But uh, those who who don't who don't have faith aren't. Right. All right, that's helpful. Now, if we can, I know we're running out of time here, but if we can quickly look at the very last section. Yeah, it's kind of neat. 
Jesus says, have you understood all these things? And I, I kind of chuckle when I read this. They said to him, yes. And I'm thinking, no, they probably didn't. <laughs> yeah. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, the, the use of the word scribe here is interesting. We, You can almost think of it like someone of letters, someone who's learned, someone who um, is, well, you know, apt to teach maybe. Okay. But 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 every every Christian person should be a bit of a scribe in their understanding of Scripture. That's mm. the whole point, right? The scribes spent time with the Word. Mm-hmm. That's the point of using the word scribe here. So he's like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And I I really think and feel that this kind of makes sense to read in light of. Uh, Jesus, similar words about you can't put new wine in old wineskins and you can't put a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Okay. The wineskins burst, the garments, the tear of the garments made worse. And that he's saying, you know, you can't just take the Old Testament stuff and put it into the New Testament era. I see. But the Old Testament is not to be thrown away. Right, right. It's to be delved into and looked at and understood because Jesus is there. Right. So let the wise scribe, yes, take the Old Testament lessons and stories and all the history and then meld it and have it completed, as it were, by what Jesus is saying and doing now. Okay. So that yeah, so this kind of lesson of acknowledging that both the New Testament and the Old Testament are treasures and there are things that we ought to learn from both. But yes. kind of keeping them, you know, situated in their appropriate context, so to speak. Yeah. And they're both they're both rich. Mm-hmm. We don't throw the Old Testament away because it's been fulfilled, right? We treasure it be, and understand it better because it's been fulfilled, right? That and of course, Christ sense. is the fulfillment of those prophecies, especially the ones of promise that promise grace, mercy, right. and forgiveness, right? Okay, okay, man. There's a lot here. There is. Yeah, this is an interesting section with these kind of three, uh, you know, somewhat different parables here, all yeah. teaching a specific thing, it seems. And I love his okay. question. Have you understood all these things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're still trying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you um, close us off with a prayer, Will? Yeah. Yeah, have a call for us. Thank you. Oh, God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong and nothing is holy. Increase and multiply your mercy on us, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.